and welcome to episode 16 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger and my guest today is Harley Oliver. Harley was introduced to art at an early age when growing up in England, he had a history of painters in his family. He started oil painting at the age of eight, so it was no surprise that he ended up at the Wimbledon Art School. But he was there in the late 60s and early 70s at a time when landscape painting, which he was um, exploring at the time, was not in fashion and certainly not encouraged. So Harley's interests moved to film and television. And in our conversation, he talks about how his successful career as an editor and producer ultimately brought him to Australia. Along the way, though, he managed to find time for painting and in the last few years, his art has taken centre stage and he's had two solo shows of his impressive work at Stanley Street Gallery in Sydney. Our conversation starts with Harley telling me about his ancestor Samuel Massey, an English portrait artist who painted in the early 19th century. You can see the painting he talks about on talkingwithpainters.com together with other paintings we discuss in our conversation. My um, family were always painters. There always seemed to be a painter somewhere in the family. And uh, uh, one of my, I think it was my great-great-great-grandfather was a portrait painter in Yorkshire. And did you ever see any paintings that he, that he painted? Oh, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got one at home. It's my, it's my great-great-great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother as a child. So it's a sort of for, a formal family portrait of the two women oh, and, uh, wow. and she she stares at us and has done for the last 15 years from the end of the <laughs> at the end of the dining room and oh. the stuff that she sees going on and she has this Victorian look on her face and going, lordy lordy what really serious <laughs> oh yeah no, but you know I mean what can she do wow and what's the pose like uh, it's formal so she's sitting sort of three-quarter side um, facing the camera but sort of a side profile with the uh, with her baby daughter on her lap. Do you know the year that it was painted? Uh, oh, it would have been 1838, something like that. That's incredible. But very lucky. And um, they had a, it was such a big group of painters in Yorkshire because that was a, a viable uh, way of earning a living. There were so many dignitaries who felt they important enough to have mm. their portrait taken. Oh, uh, right. So he, was a f he, was, he had a lot of work, I presume. Oh, yeah, that's all he did. Right. And he, he had a huge house in Yorkshire. Now that the internet's so good, I could actually look up his address in Yorkshire and the, the big house is still there. Oh, really? Yeah. That's I must amazing. go there one day. Have you ever um, read anything or heard anything about the process that he used back then? Or do you, uh, was there any, any sort of historical document about it? No, not, not that he, he never wrote about it, apart from... There's a couple of there's a couple of little notebooks where he's sort of jotted down what I think must be formula for paint. Mm. So he probably ground his own whites and things like that. But um, in those days, they were very much building very thin layers. So you, a brushstroke was a thing of horror. Oh, in right. those days. So it's all glazing. Yes. Yeah, so you can't see any brushstrokes on it, and it's amazingly luminous. We had the painting about 20 years ago. Um, it was fully restored and brought out all the colour and it's amazingly luminous. It is just so much depth. And did they, um, they have to remove a varnish? Was there varnish on it? Or oh yeah, like varnish that? and you know, 
So hundred yellowed years of crap. quite a bit. Yeah, and there was yeah. smoke and all, you know. Oh, right, yeah. And a hard life. <laughs> <laughs> so it must have looked quite different once it was. Oh, it did. Yeah, bright, oh, bright colours. Restored. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And there's a tiny bit of, obviously, just behind her was another settee or sofa or something. It's The, the background goes dark, you know, that was the style, make yeah. the background dark. Yeah. But there's a tiny bit of what looks like red leather, which would have been very racy. Right, a but, hint of... Uh... Yeah, just a hint of style. Yeah. But I don't think you would have seen that before the... Well, I know you wouldn't have seen it before the painting was restored. Yeah. And was this history of your family something that you were aware of it from a very young age? Was this an important part of your yeah, yeah, it was. history of your family? Yeah, there was paintings all over the place. Um, particularly in New Zealand with my grandparents when they were still alive, they, they had paintings. They were in the style of paintings up the wall, you know, so there'd be a painting above a painting above a painting. Oh, so they go up to the ceiling. Wow. And they're all English landscapes, all Yorkshire landscapes and the odd uh, uh, sketch and drawing. And, and were things. either of your grandparents painters? Yeah, my grandfather was a painter, he was a, but he was a weekend painter because he was a, a farmer in Taranaki. Oh, which okay. took, you know, 26 hours a day. I mean, he was working so hard, he didn't have much time for painting, but he, he still felt the need and still And did you, did you grow up with... I mean, did you grow up in New Zealand? Is that where you grew um, up? No, I grew up in England. Um, I was born in New Zealand, but we left when I was about three because oh. Dad was going to work on transistors in England because they were just starting and he was into that sort of stuff. Okay. But every year we were in England, it was always going to be our last year. So we were always Kiwis. It was always, oh, we're only visiting here. And so were either of your parents um, painters? Um, no, Dad was very creative in electronics. Mm. I think he, he built things out of his mind on an electronics board. But they were very sympathetic when I was... When I turned out to be a dud at economics in England <laughs> at, at school, um, my art teacher dragged my parents and said, look, I think it would be better if Harley uh, concentrated on art. So whenever he's got an economics lesson, I've put it to the headmaster that your son should be able to come and paint because it's, you know, it just wasn't happening. <laughs> There's no hope. And mm. so did you, do you have any siblings that were painting? No, that... no. My sister is six years younger than me and um, we, we didn't really grow up together, you know, because six years is quite a long mm. time. Yeah, there's a big siblings. difference, so actually, yeah. I was sort of, you know, moving out of home when she was just starting school, pretty much. Oh, OK. So, yeah. Right, and so and so you were... Um, it was clear to the teachers at school that you were... you had talent in art. Well, yeah, it was obvious I didn't have it in economics or maths. Yeah. So, so there was really only art left. And that's... and you enjoyed it at high school? Oh, yeah, loved it. Uh, I had extremely good uh, uh, school master, art master, a guy called Bomber Plenderleith oh, and right. he was a, uh, he was a, he was in the Air Force during the war so he had big handlebar moustache. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but he was, he was a brilliant lino cutter oh, and uh, a really good draftsman and he was right into, uh, uh, into encouraging people who needed to be encouraged. I think he was a wonderful teacher in the days when mm. we used to have occasionally really, really good teachers. And he was uh, he was definitely my champion at that at that age, and mm. suggested I go to art school and which one. And he was very useful. 
Oh, and so he was a he was a big influence in your formative years. Oh yeah, definitely. And we used to talk. He was very good at talking about art without without turning you off it. Mm. Um, even today, when people start talking about art, I sort of try and leave the room. <laughs> often. But, uh, what do you it, mean? Like, well, it gets a bit. It does get so esoteric, mm. and uh, uh, it's it's like uh, English literature. If you analyse a book to death, well, the book loses its value. Yeah. Um, so. But Bauman was very good about talking about uh, the different uh, times of art, you know, the way art develops and, mm. and the fashions. And, yeah. and we used to have long chats about that while everyone else was doing economics. And was he the one who influenced you to go to um, art school? So was it a Wimbledon School of Art? Uh, yeah, you, you do. Um, you have to do a foundation course and then a degree course. That was to uh, just to make sure you wanted to get the degree course. I think a lot of people thought... Um, that they go and do art just for something to do, but you have to do a foundation course first, and I think that weeds out the people who are not really into it. So I did um, okay. my foundation course at uh, Harrow College of Art, which is a very good graphics uh, college, but it was also pretty loose um, with painters as well. So it wasn't, what do you mean? Uh, well, it was it, they teach you the basics without forcing you into a, whatever the particular school of art happened to be at that time oh, okay. and that's what I found was a problem when I was uh, at Wimbledon is that they were very much into into the fashionable type of art that was uh, early 70s art. And what was that, what was that mainly? Well stripes and um, yeah right. you know. <laughs> uh, well conceptual art. And that yeah there's a lot of conceptual art. We did a lot of um, straight line traverses of uh, countryside with maps and things, you know, and then drew What did that involve? Well, it involves drawing a straight line across a map at random and then following that line, even if you had to go through people's gardens and knock on the door. And was the act of doing that the art? Yeah, or? and then you then you display the map. That's the art, and you, you can, and maybe a couple of photos. I used to go along to do the photos. Oh, okay. Um, and what did you think of that? Well, I, I, I think I understood the enthusiasm of the people who were doing it. Um, but I was still painting and I loved painting and I was doing landscapes and things and getting absolutely hammered um, in crits and tutorials and stuff. People would produce their latest straight line traverse or a twig that they'd dropped at one end of the Thames and picked it up at the other end of the Thames. <laughs> and, uh, and, and your landscapes would get poo-pooed. Uh, yeah, they'd say a tree doesn't look like that. Yeah. So, so you were doing plein air painting at that point, or were you doing it from your imagination? Um, no, it was all um, it was all based on stuff. I did a series of uh, paintings at Waterloo Station, and nice. uh, I loved the I loved the darkness of that. It was a great place to actually paint. Um, I'd do drawings and then come back and paint it, oh, but it's okay. all very swept up and stainless steel now. It's all oh, gone. the Waterloo Station, yeah, it's all right. Gone. So, what, did time. it look like Harry Potter sort of station oh, back it was in those totally, days? Yeah, yeah, darker. Two stops darker. And so, was this like a realist approach that you were taking? Um, sort of. Um, I did a, uh, a series of paintings where I, I uh, made the paint, made the canvas into eight strips, and then painted a slightly different angle in each of those eight strips. So, oh. it sort of almost looked like a. Um, a stop frame film mm. and then they had the genius idea of why don't I just film that as well so I started to um, uh, make movies on an old bollocks and I made a little 
making these little movies with that were so, multiple elements. Okay, what do you a mean about of, a lot of split screen? Okay, and um, I'm, one of them I made was, uh, and this was also to try and get into the more the conceptual mainstream mm -hmm. rather than being sort of left on my own in the corner. <laughs> so it's not necessarily what you wanted to well, do. It you was. just felt all oh, right. It was, but I could. It sort of fitted a slot mm. pretty handily for mm. that particular college. So, was that how you you first started um, getting interested in in film? And yes, and uh, and editing as well. So, mm. um, uh, I was lucky because a family friend was an editor at the BBC, and. As soon as I started doing stuff like that at college, at uh, art school, he was very, uh, uh, very good about it, and I used to be able to edit them at the BBC at night and right. uh, put soundtracks up to them and all that. Okay, so what happened at that point with your painting by the end of, of art school? Um, I'd been so slapped around with with painting that it became secondary to. Filmmaking, so I, I got a job at the BBC, oh, okay. and um, and started working on broadcast stuff. Right. As a very junior, I mean, for the first year of my brilliant television career, I was in charge of rewinding film. The official title was Positive Assembler, <laughs> so I had to have a smile on my face as well. <laughs> so I take it that was quite a boring job. That was a terrible, boring job. But we had the gear in the uh, in the rewind. Uh, Room we had uh, we had a Steenbeck which is a film viewer, and that's an editing piece of editing gear. So there were three of us in there. Was there was an Australian guy, me, and a rather drippy English guy who still makes films in England. But uh, oh, yeah. so we were able to make our own little films and cut them on the Steenbeck while we were rewinding film. It was a sort of a, like a mini art school. So you would film out, obviously, in your free time yeah. and then bring it in and then use their equipment to, to make little films. Yeah, yeah. Ah, and what happened to those films? Well, um, I had about six or eight little films and they got stolen in New Zealand. Oh. We had a house break in and weirdly that was pretty much all they took. In those days you didn't transfer to video or anything, so that was it. Yeah. Copies are gone. And what were they? Like what, what sort of things did you um, do? I did, um, I did a ten-minute film about a a English guy who was, I think he was an English gangster, um, as it turns out. Oh, yeah. But he was marrying a French girl. He didn't speak French and she didn't speak English. And what was it? A was there a narrative? Or well, it was, was an it... odd narrative because he was trying to explain to her what was going to happen, and she was trying to explain to him why she didn't want that to happen. <laughs> if in fact that was going to happen, which she wasn't quite sure. It was just weird. Did anybody at the BBC see these films? Um, not officially, because I think if if people had found out that we officially found out that we were making films, it would have been stopped mm. because this is government money and mm. you know, all the rest of it's a sensitive yeah. issue. And we were very arrogant in our yeah. filmmaking as well as young people. But um, all of us that were sort of positive assemblers started to get quite negative about because we were not getting any further. We all wanted to be editors or we all wanted to do something in the BBC but it was such a hierarchy mm. that the only way that was going to happen was if somebody died, you know, you might sort of shuffle up in the queue. <laughs> and okay, so because sort of the prospect of promotion wasn't sort of wasn't available, no. you, what did you do next? Um, 
I worked out that every week I didn't go to New Zealand, I would eventually run out of money and wouldn't be able to go to New Zealand. So by saving money, the money was sort of was disappearing as fast as I saved it. Mm. So eventually, uh, I to just had to bite the bullet and um, and get on a plane and come back to New Zealand. And amazingly, the day I arrived, um, I got a New Zealand paper, and there was the, they were advertising for an editor. Fate. Yeah, it was amazing. There would never be an an ad for an editor. Really? You always had to suck up to the um, to the human resources people and buy them tea and. And yeah. so you applied for it, obviously. Yeah, and, and got it. And it was a little um, uh, private production house, and they were doing little docos for the Ministry of Transport and, and the forestry uh, people, and they were doing a couple of things for TVNZ. What's the actual um, process? Do they bring the film to you the way they've shot it? Uh, no, it's much more random than that. They just bring the box of bits. Oh, OK, that, that they've, they've shot, shot from various yeah, times. Yeah, they've got a script. Usually the script, as it was written, and the film that was arriving in the edit suite, two different things. But you still had to, out of all that, make something that everyone was happy with. So that's a very creative process. It is. I love it. It's, mm. I still edit whenever I can now. Oh, do you? Yeah, I still do little uh, industrial movies and corporate oh. stuff. Oh, OK. Yeah, only the ones I want to do. But uh, I still enjoy it, yeah. putting it together. Well, I presume that... A film can be edited in a multitude of ways and it can mean True. different things each way, each yeah. time. And the, the reason you're being paid the big money is so that you don't edit it a hundred ways. Yeah. Um, is so that you can, you know, sort of see, see where it's going and see how to get there. You can see the destination for a start but you can work out how to actually get there. And uh, you don't want it to be too pedestrian either and you don't want, you want it to be active when you're viewing something. You want, you want the person who's looking at it to be active. What, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean that you are that you're cutting from shot to shot in a way that keeps them engaged mm -hmm. and that doesn't confuse them. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you don't want to be confused. Somebody's suddenly on the other side of the room facing the other way. Yeah. You've got to work out a way of, if that's the shot you've been given, working out a way of getting there without making it look disturbing yeah. or stop the flow. So you've got to... I presume that, that means that sometimes you have to lose bits of film that you would have liked to use, but because it just can't fit in properly. Is it? Does that um, ever happen? Yeah, it does. I, I, I cut a, um, a feature film in New Zealand eventually, and uh, there, was a, uh, there was a chase scene. And the guy, the director, John Lang, was a very, very good director. He's a very, uh, very creative director. Mm -hmm. But he'd shot, there was one particular thing where he'd shot um, eight or nine different angles of pretty much basically the same event. And um, uh, I cut that together quite quickly because I only had to get the character from one end of Auckland to the other end of Auckland with, you know, these shots. Yeah. Um, and I probably used five out of the nine because that told the story. Yep. But then when he came back in, he said, well, where's the other four shots? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, I've still got them. I mean, they're fine. But, and he said, well, I'd like to see those in there. And I thought, oh, why? But then when I did point them in there, I went, oh, idiot. You know, of course, of course they should be in there. Why? Well, because it, it added charge to the, to the sequence. And, you know, that's one of those moments where you learn a lot in 20 minutes. Mm. Where you think, oh, you know, 
it's not about being able to get something uh, from you know one end to the other in as in as limited fuss and bother as you can. It's actually about it's about it is about using all the shots. Mm. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot from John Lang. He was good, very good director. And were you painting at that point? Um, yeah. Well, I started painting again once I left England. It started to. I, I only have, a, I reckon, an only amount of certain amount of energy to do stuff. So if I'm if I'm working on a, a film project, then painting stops. I just can't do the two. Mm. Um, but I managed in New Zealand. The thing about New Zealand is the light is so different to England, and that that was a bit of a challenge. Right. As you get used to your palette in England. In what way was it? It was oh, brighter. Just bright. Yeah, it was brighter. Yeah, bright and flat, mm. and uh, all the colours rush in at the same rate. They're all travelling at a million miles an hour. Right. In England, you know, you, the mist is sort of the colour of the mist is five miles an hour. What talking about light? How do you compare New Zealand to Australia? Uh, New Zealand is still starker. Australia is uh, is still a little more filtered. Oh, okay. I think, I think yeah. New Zealand. But yeah, there is something about the landscape in New Zealand that is very uh, stunning, and it, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I think the yeah the air is, I would imagine, probably something to do with it. But mm. the colours the colours are strong in New Zealand. The greens are particularly. And um, what brought you to Australia? The feature film that I worked on, we'd done the post production, a lot of it, the sound mix and bits and pieces in Australia in Sydney, mm. and just talking to some of the blokes who were involved in that. I thought I got more chance of developing a career. I, I had a decent career in New Zealand, but it wouldn't have changed much. So when you come to Australia, are you, are you painting your free time still, mm. or is, did work take over a little no, bit? No, I think work was pretty much front of mind then. It was, uh, yeah, painting mm. was a, a luxury. Let's fast forward mm. to, to more recently, to when you, when you did start painting again. Uh, what What caused you to, to sort of come back to it? Um, I was working off and on in television documentaries. They've, they've sort of dried out a bit now, and I was doing a couple of series for the SBS, and, uh, um, but there was gaps in between, so I started painting again, just nothing particularly serious, but uh, sort of started to get the taste of it again. And then uh, I came, I decided probably five, six years ago that I didn't want to work on television programs anymore. The reality stuff was just not mm. interesting. So I'd and is that what was proliferating at that point? Yeah, and it, it still is. You know, it's mm. still it's very hard to get uh, any sort of meaty science docos these days. Yeah, so I started painting again. But working in television, I tend to paint themes, so mm -hmm. I sort of locked on to inappropriate nudity pretty quickly. Yeah, which is the name of your first show first mm. in 2014. And how did you come up with that idea? Um, I was involved in red carpets and stuff uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just an appalling, it's an appalling event. The I know, I is just I've awful. never been to one, but I can imagine. There's so much pressure on, oh. and especially the women. Yeah, well, it's all on the women. Yeah. I mean, that's the blokes are just, you know, invisible. <laughs> <laughs> on the red carpet, but yeah, and the women go through huge, huge effort to look as they do, and it's they're judged mm. to a degree which is unhealthy, I think, yeah. on red carpets. 
So you went, you, you were on the red carpets every now and again? Now and again, yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was, um, it was, but then I was thinking, well, it, that is like um, public nudity, really. I mean, they're being scrutinised uh, very publicly for what they're wearing or what they're not wearing, especially mm. now. It's just awful. Mm. It's getting worse and worse. Mm. That somebody eventually will walk down the red carpet wearing nothing at all. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure of it. You think so? I think it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's becoming so... Well, because it's shock value. I think mm. they get dragged into this idea that they'll only get their photo on the mm. pages if they're outrageous. Do you, were you interested in life drawing at that point? Or life painting? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I've done a bit of that uh, uh, in England as well. Right. So, yeah. Well, I'd say most, most artists... Um, yeah. That's going to be one port of call on well, the way through. it's really hard. It's really, really yeah. hard. And sure you've got is. to get it right. Yep. And uh, as, a, as a painter, you know, you, you can be very judgmental on your own work, which should be anyway. But yeah. if the slightest, if it's slightly wrong, it's terribly wrong. That's definitely right. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you did quite a few paintings for that, including um, sort of well-known figures such as, you know, Queen Victoria. Yeah, well, yeah, because I thought that's such an inappropriate thing to paint. Yes. Queen Victoria in the nude is inappropriate because she was an 80-year-old woman. Yeah. And that's what she would look like. You know, we have an image of Queen Victoria in the black and the, you know, this sort of dumpy woman with the, the white veil and the black clothes and looking fierce. Yeah. But underneath that, that's what would have been there. You're absolutely right. But I, and, and it's interesting because why is that? It's slightly shocking. Mm. But what, given, especially in our society today, where nudity is, it, there seems to be this contradiction where you've got nudity splashed around everywhere, mm. you know, sexting and, you know, pornography and everything. And, then, and yet to see a painting, not even a photograph, a painting of a monarch. But, I, because that's... Because that's, uh, it's, it's naked, you know. It's it's um, it's all there, you know. It's it's not yeah. it's not selling anything. And that's a good point. It's just yeah. is what it is. It's there, and uh, but uh, the rea the response to it I really like because people look at it, and you can see them go from shock, and then they just laugh, and it's you know, it's just yeah. funny. Well, but that's true. There is a comical aspect to it mm, as well, yeah. But it's, it's serious. All the paintings are, are serious paintings. They're treated as paintings. It's not like a sort of a... No, they're very painterly as well. I yeah. mean, I really uh, liked, you know, your brushwork in those paintings. They're very... Uh, they're beautiful paintings. It's, it's yeah. a very interesting idea. And, and your more recent show um, was called Dad Took a Picture yeah. um, at Stanley Street Gallery. And that was a very that was a very interesting idea as well. Do you, can you talk a bit about that? Um, uh, Dad used to um, we had the family album like every family has the album that go back goes back to the 30s and 40s, mm. and um, everybody in those in that era would pose for a picture. A picture was a big deal in those days. You got eight on a roll, yeah. and you take eight pictures in your holiday, and that'd be it. Or you take, you know, maybe three pictures on a family outing if it was a really good one. Mm. So there wasn't the sort of the digital um, shotgun that we have now. These were very considered photos. But mm. when Dad would go through the album, he'd say things like, oh, that's your Uncle Jerry there and that's uh, Aunt Lily. And uh, I'd say, well, who's that other person? Well, um, 
Not sure. Uh, I think she was a friend of... No, she wasn't a friend. I think she was living in... in but yeah. for that person who was in the photograph, they almost ceased to exist at that point when nobody can remember who they were. Mm. And yet they're sitting there in the photo. It was a big deal for them. Mm. But they're vanishing you know, mm. in, a, in a sort of almost in a quantum sense. They're, they're not there. They're there but not there yeah. at the same time. So I, do, I was doing the paintings uh, and they're all uh, beach side. Mm. But they were all about how the landscape was more permanent than the people who were on it. And the people who were on it were vanishing anyway. Um, so there was a lot of sort of stormy skies and, and rough sea, almost uh, primitive sort of primordial sea, which is what, in a time scale, it has been. This idea that pristine beaches have been there forever is really not true. It's a pretty recent invention by us. It's and always. when you, you painted the figures, um, I'll just describe for the for the listener. Um, parts of the body would be sort of transparent, or you'd be able to see through that, that to the landscape yeah, behind them. The landscape's pushing, pushing them out of the out of the frame as well. Did you uh, did you paint the landscape first and the figures on top, or was it? A, did uh, you it's, compose it's, the painting? Yeah, the, the, they both at the same, not the same time, but uh, the landscapes fit the the people I wanted to put into it because sometimes the landscapes describe them as well. Uh, the, when the landscape pushes through, um, it will actually be a part of them. It will be in the correct place if, as if I'd painted it. Yeah, that's a, right. We were looking at one earlier, weren't we, that um, just, I'll put some on the website where, where the landscape actually describes the form, yeah. even though it's, it's, it's the landscape that's coming through and there's no actually, the figure is not painted itself, the landscape is describing the figure. Yeah. It's a very interesting technique. Yeah. And um, it also, um, I'm working on a series now about what's real and what's not. So that's mm. an interesting part of that, of the beach series, mm. that you don't know which bit is real and which bit was real, or maybe it's, you know, it was never real. Maybe it's just we imagined there were people there, but they weren't there. Um, and I'm sort of thinking about trying to do that um, with reflections and things like that, which bit of the reflection is real. And if you stand behind a reflection, what that does to your idea of where you are. Yes, yeah, so whether you're looking at a reflection from behind you mm. or whether it's the person behind the... the yeah. Image. That's I've a done, very interesting idea. Well, I've done a couple and I'm not sure. I think it might be too hard. <laughs> I'm not but sure. Sometimes I'm going to be able to do it. ideas like that can lead somewhere else as yeah. well. Well, I hope so because these bloody reflection ones are really hard to do. <laughs> well, you're doing those from life, aren't you, as well? Yeah. You've got a model yeah. standing behind a reflective surface. Yes, because I can't make it up. Mm. Um, and are you looking at that when you paint that? Do you look at it as, as shapes of the reflection to, to sort of um, translate onto them to canvas? No, it was mostly colour. I'm totally confused about the colour of, uh, of reflections. I don't know what the colour is. If you look I at know it, what you, mean, you can't yeah. work it out. And I've tried to, you know, sort of try and isolate it with my fingers and, you know, try and just take that little piece of slice of it. What is that colour? Is it blue? Is it grey? Is it green? Is it yeah. another colour? Is it a colour we can't paint? And I wonder whether it's because 
intellectually, we feel like it's... I mean, if, I'm thinking from my own point of view. I'm thinking that that's sort of like light. How can I paint light? Yeah. Whereas you've got to, you've got to intellectually think of it just as colour. Yeah, and it is, it is arriving as a colour, but then you overlay your expectation of what that colour is. Yeah. And it's very, really difficult to actually paint it. And uh, the painting I'm doing at the moment, there's a couple of times where I've just thought, well, I just have to paint something. I just have to <laughs> approximate some colour that might or might not. And usually it isn't the colour. No, but I, I don't know what the colour is. I wonder, is. though, if you get the tone right, whether you're going to get closer to it. Because if you get the tone right, oh, somebody, a teacher was telling me this once, sometimes if you get the tone right, if you don't get the colour right, you're, it's going to work somehow yeah. because... Yeah, well, that's what I'm pinning all my hopes on. It's very interesting. Yeah. And it's funny that if, say, you were working from a photograph, it's easier because you can sort of isolate that on the photograph. Yeah, because you've got a tonal reference. That's right. Yeah. Um, but when you're working from life, it's much harder, I think, mm. to get colour right. I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, but even if you take a photo of it, uh, the camera, I think, gets confused as well. You know, it's like that um, that meme that was going around, is it a gold dress on a oh, white yeah. thing or a black dress on a, you know. I'm sure every artist in the world looked at that and said, well, it's bloody obvious what colour that is because we're used to it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I couldn't, I but, couldn't see why people but, were getting confused. Oh, yeah, what was the, what did was cause it, it to be? Yeah, gold or a blue dress, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, But why was it causing the confusion? I can't I remember know. what it was. I, I, I think it's all mass hysteria. Because <laughs> I look at that and they think, well, it's gold and white. There's no, and... I wonder if different monitors showed it in different colour. I don't know, I don't know, know what's I know, going it was bizarre. on. It's a complete, complete mystery. No, it was bizarre. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, colour is, colour is a minefield. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's exciting, but it's it's difficult, I think. Yeah, it is difficult. Yeah. Do you work with a limited palette? Or? Um, yeah, but it changes. I think you uh, this. I'm doing some figure stuff at the moment, which is not the same as the inappropriate nudity mm -hmm. uh, palette, and uh, so I'm sort of playing with different colours, much warmer. The, the yeah. nudity one was a, uh, it was a pretty cool. It lent itself to a pretty cool palette but the um the one i'm doing now about reflections and stuff i think is a bit warmer and right. a bit paler now a few of my previous guests have had partners who are either painters or work in the creative um in a creative field and your wife is a media personality mm. amanda keller and she's in she's a tv presenter and radio personality amongst mm. other things do you i mean do you find that that your relationship helps in your creative pursuits as well. Oh yeah, if uh, if Amanda wasn't uh, wasn't 100% positive about painting, I wouldn't be doing it. Mm. Um, you have to have that base behind you, uh, yeah. and she's uh, she's a pretty good critic as well. She doesn't uh, she doesn't go in too hard, but she you know she can see a good one and a bad one. So you'll show her as you're going along. Oh, she'll yeah, she'll look absolutely. at your work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, very important, and she's very encouraging. And I mean, it's a big deal because she works so hard. She's just everywhere at the moment and mm. gets up at four o'clock to go to the radio, and then there's stuff that happens through the day that she's still got to do, and then she gets home at you know four o'clock sometimes, absolutely exhausted. I could imagine. And she says, "Oh, you know, blah blah blah," and I say, "Oh, look, look at this little painting I've done." <laughs> so, actually, I've learnt not to do that. 
Yes, I don't think that's a good idea. No, but uh, <laughs> no, she puts up with a lot. I mean, yeah, a lot well, I saw she was recently on the Ando, the Ando mm. show. That was uh, that was fun to watch. Yeah. How did she find that experience? Uh, she liked that. She thought mm. it was good. She thought he was asking uh, good questions and um, painting at the same time. We've got that painting at home now. It sits, ah. it sits next to my great, 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 great grandmother. It is a great painting. Yeah. It really yeah. looked like he captured her. Yeah. 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 Oh, so it's next to the... Um, it's the, next to the old one, yeah. The old one. Yeah. Oh, she can't, fantastic. But she can't see it from where she is, so yeah. she can't look around the corner to see Anne Doe's work. We're not battling for each other's attention. No. Um, anyway, Harley, thank you so much for having me in your studio today. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute delight to meet you and, um, and talk about your interesting life and, uh, and how you got to where you are and your wonderful work, which is just... Uh, fantastic and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing more work next year. Well thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Go to talkingwithpainters.com for links to things we talked about on the show and you can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and now I've also created a YouTube channel where I've posted all my video clips and so if you just search Talking With Painters on YouTube and go to the playlist on the channel, you can see those. Also, if you have any feedback about the show, just send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. Hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. <laughs>